This programming is sponsored by the UH Health Family Care Center, offering primary care and behavioral health services on the University of Houston campus. Health insurance plans including Medicare and Medicaid accepted. New patient appointments and more at 832-UH-CARES. I say you. Superstar DJ known as Skrillex has been heating up the electronic music industry as of late. Recently, the multiple Grammy Award winner was introduced to a Palestinian vocalist by the name of Nai Barghouti, an acclaimed composer and flute player who's notably famous for creating her own unique fusion of jazz and Middle Eastern soundscapes. It was like, I have another track called Zina. It's been, you know, stuck with me and I really want to do something with this song, but I'm not sure what. I'm Eddie Robinson. Stay tuned as we chat unguarded with singer-songwriter Nai Barghouti. We learn more about her signature vocal technique. Plus, we'll get to listen to her sing a cappella, a popular hit song about a warrior princess that's hyped up millions of electronic digital music fans across the globe. Oh yeah, I feel you. We hear you. I see you. You're listening to I See You. I'm your host, Eddie Robinson. With us in this episode, we're so fortunate to have a special guest, Nai Barghouti. Nai, thanks enormously for taking time out of your busy schedule and setting aside a few minutes to connect with I See You. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> very happy to be here. Yeah, you know, I wanted you to be a part of the show because it's it's time to broaden the horizons of public media. Let's expose audiences to new ideas, new cultures, new innovative sounds, artistic expressions. Interestingly enough, Nai, your world embraces a plethora of classical and orchestral music and instrumentations that our public media audiences have loved for decades. And you, your background, you know, you've been performing in front of packed crowds, you know, as early as 14 years old in Ramallah and Cairo and I mean, then on to global stages all over the world in New York, London, Paris, Amsterdam, Casablanca. Your vocals are absolutely amazing. But we hardly get to explore the electronic music on public media stations and the, the the electronic genre. And this latest project that Skrillex has, a multiple Grammy Award winner, music producer, you know, I'm a huge fan of his work and his music. You're a featured vocalist on a very mm-hmm. powerful and creative track called Xena. Yes. My one-year-old toddler son and I listen to the song every morning now as we head oh, to wow. daycare. <laughs> At the end of the at the end of the track, there's you know this really you know nice fast beat comes in, and he does the you know baby shark thing and everything. It's so cute. Yeah. Later in the show, we'll play the song you know that you're featured on. Great work, awesome track. We'll play it. But Thank before you. we get Thank into you. the Skrillex chat and how y'all met, who is Nai Barghouti? Briefly share with us you know where you're from and the kind of musicianship that you bring to the cultural table. How would you describe Nai Barghouti's music to someone? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm from Palestine. I'm a Palestinian singer, composer, and flute player. I was born in Jerusalem, but I grew up in Ramallah, uh, a city in the West Bank of Palestine. I grew up basically with a lot of Arabic music, and Arabic music is extremely diverse. You have so many different styles that it almost sounds like, you know, very different, you know, genres of music. I was also really blessed to grow up with a family that really appreciates art and music. So we were exposed to all kinds of stuff, you know, from Whitney Houston to, to Indian music to flamenco all kinds of stuff. So that for me, that had a huge role in, in developing my musicality and in also teaching me a lot about music, even though I was not really learning it, but just basically growing with it and for it to be coming into my ears. 
then I basically decided that I do want to study music. And I started at the age of seven, I, I started learning the flute, like the, the classical flute. And I was really into uh, Western classical music. And then my relationship with singing became uh, stronger than ever. And I had a feeling that that's what I'm going to do. I want to be a singer. So I, I basically learned my first, my first song from my mother, who is a singer, who used to sing in a choir, and now she still does it as a hobby sometimes in the kitchen, I hear her, or when she's working, or, you know. So I learned basically singing from her. And my older sister, Jenna, plays at the Dallas Symphony. Uh, so I also was really inspired by her playing. She's an amazing violinist. Um, and my dad used to be a choreographer, and also his taste in music was amazing and still is so we, we really had this like very musical family in a way and so that's that's basically my journey with music I've read somewhere there's this connection between Arabic and jazz music and I'm curious you know in your opinion you know how are they related as it relates to your music and what you bring to the table so um, ever since I was a kid, and, and again, I was really just into Arabic music a lot, I, I also loved jazz. And as a child, I didn't know why why I found this kind of connection that really reminded me of my connection with Arabic music. And so huh. I was already curious from a very young age of why there's a connection between jazz and Arabic music and what is this connection. So then I went to a music school and I started learning jazz. And I realized if I would just summarize that, it's basically the spontaneity and the very strong expression of jazz music that comes from, from from black culture. And that's basically that the strength that you hear and see and, and even feel in the music. It's very, very close to Arabic music, in my opinion. And then musically speaking, there are, of course, a lot of scales and modes that kind of overlap between both worlds. And that comes from a, from historical events. The, the call to prayer, for example, and the Qur'an in Islamic culture was really uh, affected by jazz and vice versa. So you really hear a lot of connection between the two genres, surprisingly. And it sounds like your voice, you know, your vocal style, they're all layered. You know, it can be angelic, inspiring, mm. you know, mm -hmm. velvety with the depth to it, a rich texture in, in its foundation. And it's also powerful you know there's a mm. projection to your voice with a range and that range has control has agility uh, i think i read somewhere where a renowned egyptian maestro wrote that there is light in her voice and that's exactly how i feel when i hear your voice and your music there is a it, there's a boldness but at the mm. same time there is so like this gentleness, a sense of nobility, a sense of tranquility. Wow, thank you. <laughs> and you can hear it all in your voice. And perhaps even in the life that you've lived, it all kind of is brought into your vocal. Uh, mm. And I just love that about your sound. Thank you. Well, I mean, because also my relationship with music kind of grew out of that, those feelings. And, and some of them were, of course, happy and beautiful feelings, but some of them were also very difficult feelings. After all, I, I grew up under occupation and having lived through these experiences, having lived through racism and, you know, discrimination all my life, being really forced in, into staying away from music as much as possible because occupation is scared of art. And so when you're an artist and you want to get closer to music, the first thing that's going to happen is that your occupier will feel threatened because they don't want you to be educated or they don't want you to be musical. They don't want you to have a voice. And so my voice started out of that because I did not want to shut up. I did not want to stop singing, stop talking. I really wanted to go out there and explode with my musical expression and, and, my, and my character. So my relationship with music started out of that. I was seeing a lot of horrible things and I wanted a tool to express my feelings and my thoughts. And there was music. It's ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson and we're chatting with Palestinian composer, singer-songwriter, Nai Barghouti. I think of Beyonce and the Renaissance album and there's this fir the first track that you hear on her album is called uh, I'm That Girl. And she uses a sample of a 90s track from this is rapper Tommy Wright III, and it's still pimping. But the song keeps 
resonating with the sample, you know, stop holding us back. You won't stop me. You won't stop me. Mm-hmm. And I just love that energy. And you feel that energy in the music that you deliver. And, you know, speaking of Houston artists who are shaping the pop culture as we know it, we've got Lizzo. She's a flute player out of the University of Houston. And you're also a renowned flute player as well. What is it about this instrument that connects, you know, with who you are and your artistry? What is it about the flute that captivates you as an instrumentalist as well? Well, actually, my name, Nay, comes from an Arabic flute. So it's made of a type of wood, basically, and people play the flute in a different way. They hold it to the front versus the side holding of the Western flute. And so everyone used to joke, like, your name is Nai, which is a very uncommon name. Like, no one I knew was named Nai. So if, you, if you're named Nai, then you must play the Nai, right? Because that's, like, that's how it is. So I said, well, close enough, I play the flute. And it has this kind of purity of the sound that I love. But it can also be used in Arabic music in a way that, that hasn't been used because flute is not really an Arabic instrument. So it's, it's difficult for the flute to create a certain intonation that is used in Arabic music, quarter tones uh, that are used in maqams, which means scales in, in Arabic music. So there's something about, about the flute being so Western that I, it kind of makes me like, you know, let's, let's see where it can go. And I love that ability of the flute to do that. But I must say my connection with the voice, I think, is a... I would say a stronger connection than the flute. Got it. Got it. And I believe you spent two years at Indiana University's Jacobs School of Music. Yes. And and then you moved to Amsterdam. You you were awarded both your bachelor's and master's degrees with honors from the Conservatory of Amsterdam. What was that experience like with those two, you know, educational worlds, if you will, of studying classical music and jazz vocal technique at Indiana University and then coming to Amsterdam, you know, were there nuances from the culture in Amsterdam that you incorporated into your own sound, your own voice? So my experience living in the U.S., I I was very young when I moved here. I was not even 17. So you moved here. So I moved to the U.S. to Indiana basically to start my bachelor's degree. So it was it was very difficult for me to be so, you know, far away from my family. Gotcha. And so two years through the program, I still felt like there was something missing for me. And that was basically my relationship to Arabic music. Because in Indiana University, there were a lot of expectations. It's an amazing school. And so, you know, you had to study really hard to finish everything that was expected of you to, to, to finish as a student. And that was amazing because it taught me a lot. But I also felt like I'm getting really away from my culture and from my music, which I really wanted to include, but the program and the curriculum didn't really allow for that. And so that's when I found out about the Amsterdam Conservatory of Music and, and how diverse the program was. So they, for them, it, it's crucial that you have an identity as a musician or else you actually you wouldn't, you will not finish your course. You will not pass the course unless you have a very personal and very unique character to your musicality because that's what they would like you to achieve so that allowed me basically to be a little bit more free uh, in my music and to keep my relationship with both uh, arabic music and jazz and everything i was studying while also being in a place like amsterdam which is extremely diverse and you can just meet all kinds of people and you know be subjected to a lot of uh, concerts and music events كلمة تجي لتغير وجهك بيذكر بالخريب ترجع لي كلمة الدنيا بدت تعتم مثل الهوى اللي مبلش على Palestinian singer-composer Nai Barghouti will get insight into her collaboration with Skrillex. How did they meet? Plus, we'll dive into the lyrics of the song they made together, called Xena. Then later, be sure you stay tuned as we get to hear exclusive a cappella vocals from the renowned composer herself. I'm Eddie Robinson. I see you. We'll return in just a moment. 
if you're enjoying this program, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, I See You with Eddie Robinson. You can hear all the past episodes and be notified when new episodes are released. Also, please take a minute to give us a review or comment. We love getting feedback from our listeners. It's ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson, and we're so grateful to have with us as a special guest, singer-composer Nai Barguti. She's a renowned vocalist who recently teamed up with producer Sonny Moore, better known as Skrillex, for a track called Xena. The highly energetic track features captivating vocals sung by Nai, along with some wild percussion and hyped-up rhythms and loops. It's the perfect blend of bass, techno, and Middle Eastern club. But the mixing of Arabic rhythms and sounds is actually something mega-hit producer and multiple Grammy winner Timbaland has been doing for quite some time. He's been known to fuse a bit of Arabic flair into creative beats and rhythmic melodies for several chart-topping R&B and hip-hop tracks from back in the day. Take, for instance, Aaliyah's 2001 track called More Than a Woman. The song effectively blends an Arabic sample from Mayara al Enoui. Another Timbaland-produced track, Jay-Z and UGK's infamous Big Pimpin' from 1999. It samples a very popular belly dancing track from Abdul Halim Hafiz. And we can't forget the 2007 Def Jam track from Fabulous and Neo called Make Me Better, which injects an Arabian blues track called Shireen by Al Saban Aleh. But what makes this collaboration with Sunny and singer Nai Barghouti so fascinating is that she actually uses her voice as an instrument, which allows for a unique sound dynamic, especially when she's paired with six-time Grammy winner Skrillex. We continue our chat. Well, Skrillex, hello. (laughs) I mean, Nye, how did it all begin? Did Skrillex hear about your music somehow? You know, had you heard of him before you worked with him? I mean, what went down with that connection? Go. So actually we met we met a couple of years ago through uh, a mutual friend Thijs de, de Vleicher, and he's a he's from the Netherlands he's known for his work with uh, Noisia which is a very well-known uh, Dutch electronic music trio So Thijs and Sonny were Skrillex known as Skrillex were really close friends and Sonny was visiting the Netherlands and you know hanging out with with Thijs so Thijs invited me to go to Groningen, which is a city in the Netherlands where Thijs is from. And I met uh, Sonny there. Sunny. And mm-hmm. yeah, and we basically just, I remember we just shook hands and we just kind of felt that, you know, something might come out of this, but we didn't really talk about it or we didn't really get the chance to make a lot of music together. He was very busy and we didn't have a lot of time. And then another time, the same thing happened again. This time we, I was able to sing a little bit with Thais. We were jamming also with our friend, uh, who's also a Palestinian musician living in, in Holland. His name is Khalil Khouri. He's a Qanun player. And so he, he was also there in Kroningen and we were just, you know, jamming. And I, and I would see Sonny sometimes passing the room and like listening and like, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really scared, like, wow, I, I really like, you know, this is my chance. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And then again, nothing, nothing really came out of that. But then later on, we kind of connected again and I, and I realized that he was working on some new music and he wanted me to, to sing some, you know, some vocal background stuff on one of his tracks. So, so Zena was not even in, in discussion at that point. So I recorded something which is also now on, on his album and uh, Don't Leave Me Like This. So that, that beginning vocal line, I'm basically recording that. That's so we, you. Interesting. Yeah, the one in the background. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So back in September, we went to London to basically re- record that 
and you know the backing vocals to make that stronger and to really like develop the idea so we were in london and we were working on that song on the first day and then the second day he was like oh actually i have another track called xena and it's been you know stuck with me for for five years and i really want to do something with the song but i'm not sure what so I said, okay, well, let's let's try. And we just went to the studio and started listening to music. And we both felt like something rhythmic would be ideal for the song. So I proposed some Palestinian folk music and he listened to that and he loved it. <laughs> So we just thought, let's do it. And we basically recorded the whole thing in a few hours on that day. And there was Zina. <laughs> so what's the title? I mean, I'm thinking, what, Zina, Warrior Princess? I mean, in the hit, there was this hit 90s TV series. You've changed, Zina. I wish I could see it that way. That depicts Zina on this quest yeah. to redeem herself from her dark past, you know, by mm-hmm. using her fighting skills to help people. But, but I thought I read somewhere where this song is traditionally sung at weddings? Yeah, like the concept of Xena for, for Skrillex would be exactly what you said. It's inspired by that, by that character and it's inspired it. by women's, women's strength, women's power and, and, you know, just being so free in, in your expression as a woman. And so that's where the idea came along. But the funny thing, I mean, this is a traditional Palestinian folk song that is basically uh, originally sung to the groom in weddings and it, it's basically calling on his cousins to put him on a horse and shoot rifles in the air as a celebration for his wedding and i mean it's, it's that kind of um of scene the reason why we use i use the song in zina even though it's actually usually for for groom is that as palestinian women we're also trying to use the song as cultural subversion to say that we're also worthy Tradition is important, but evolving it to modernity and exclusivity, inclusivity, sorry, is crucial for us. So that's why as women, it feels kind of extra important to sing a lot of Palestinian folk songs that maybe historically were targeted to men. uh, But now it's about us also as women. So we want to be included as well. You have to always work extra hard to be proven that you're just as good or even better. And that's basically the problem, that you have to always work hard to just say, I'm here. This is this is who I am. Hear me out. This is my voice. You know, I'm not just a singer, even though that would also be enough. But I'm just I'm not just that. I'm also a musician. I'm an instrumentalist. I have this passion towards music. I have knowledge about music that I want to share. I'm not just following a certain path that someone else dictates for me. And you always have to work extra hard to prove that all the time. And it's tiring but we don't get tired easily. So. <laughs> and then as the Palestinian society basically evolved, people also started using the song for Palestinian martyrs. So being both women and men. And the zagharit, which is the loud lip uh, trilling used in the beginning of the song and, and throughout, is also um, a thin line between celebration and grief. So women use it in, in both weddings and in funerals. So it's such a powerful feminine tool of expression and it's used only by women. And it has this kind of, you're always on the edge between am I grieving or am I celebrating? And the, and the line between those is so thin. So uh, when you're speaking of, like, the, there's this scream, right? There's this, yes. uh, 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 is that what you're talking about with the scream? No. Oh, okay. Actually, okay. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't me. That was a friend, yeah. a friend of, of Skrillex who, who made these screams a while ago, and he basically used them. But I mean the, the, the trilling of the tongue that you hear and throughout the song, there's like this, yes. it's, a, it's a trilling sound that, that is produced by the roll of the tongue. Can you do and it? I mean, I, I, what is it's more like like that kind oh, of yes, sound. yes, but much much ha- higher. If I do it now, the the computer will explode. So I, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> so, and I'm also listening because it sounds like there's someone else that with a lower voice, and that's still you. That is still me as well. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get that velvet sort of sound? It's years of, of, of you know, of practicing and, and basically the, using that. My connection with, with Western music and, and Arabic music, in a way, that's basically it. Because I was also looking for that sound for years. And, and I always felt like mm. when I'm singing in, in Arabic music, I'm using 
a certain voice. And then when I go to a more Western style, then my voice kind of switches over, but I'm missing the, the connection. I'm missing the, where does it overlap and how can I connect both without it seeming like, okay, here stops, here comes this part, here ends this part. Now we're starting another part. I don't want it to be, you know, to be heard as chunks. I want it to be all connected in my yes. voice. So that was, of course, years of basically studying because a lot of the vocal technique Mm -hmm. things that are written about it in universities and, and schools. It's very Western. And that's nice. But as an Arab, that doesn't necessarily apply to me in my singing. And I also want to develop technique in Arabic singing without having to sing, for example, opera to be able to learn mm -hmm. about my voice. It's a very different technique in opera than we use in, in Arabic music. So how can I find my own technique that I can develop, even though it doesn't exist in books yet? And so that was my mission in my, especially my master's uh, degree, to basically look for a vocal technique that can help me go through different styles of music seamlessly. And that was a, a vocal technique I called Nystrumentation. So my master's thesis was about that. <laughs> Nystrumentation. You're listening to ICU. I'm your host, Eddie Robinson, and we're here with Palestinian singer-songwriter Nai Barghouti. She's the featured vocalist on a high-energy dance track released by six-time Grammy Award winner Skrillex. The song, Xena, is a track on Skrillex's latest album entitled Quest for Fire. What's it like infusing your culture into an American DJ song? You know, when you first heard the mix, you know, how did you react? You know, I noticed both you and Skrillex jamming in a session yeah. on Instagram. Um, yeah. But, you know, what what was that experience for you like? And how did you feel as you were kind of listening and thinking to yourself, this is interesting or, you know, yeah. this, this is, I don't know if this is going to fly, but it's sounding good to me. You know, yeah. what was that like for you? I mean, I remember when the song was finally released and everyone was listening to it. And I also listened. And this time I was listening as someone outside of the song and not as an artist who sang the song. So for the first sure. time, it's actually just listening to it as if it's for the first time. Okay. And that was actually very emotional for me. Like I remember almost, you know, tearing up a little bit because I was very proud, of course, of this result. And also just the fact that you hear Palestinian music in such a such an amazing track with such an incredible artist. Even though from the very beginning, it wasn't a really a political thing. We, we didn't decide to do this as a political statement. And, and I respected that. And I, and I basically did it from a musical, artistic perspective. But you cannot separate the identity of music from its, from its meaning. You can never succeed at doing that, even if you try to ignore it. It's not possible. It is a Palestinian folk song. And just that holds a lot of political meaning. And that we cannot run away from that, basically. And do you feel like there is a sect, there is a group of individuals who feel like, you know what, this is disrespectful or, you know, this is something that, you know, you know, that could potentially receive backlash because people like tradition. Right. Do you find that kind of backlash, you know, with this particular track or with anything, you know, that relates to preserving the Palestinian culture? So that, that, that thought definitely comes to mind because I always want to be respectful of, of music from, from any, any music I do. I need to be respectful of that. That's right. Um, but Palestinian folk music somehow has, has been very um, modern in the sense that people really love seeing it um, alive, even if that means, you know, connecting it to other genres. So people, the, the main, the main thing that people are worried about is actually preserving that, that, that songs, no matter how, no matter which style you present it at. As long as it's respectful to the style, of course, you're not like completely destroying it. And you're, you're being, you know, very respectful of saying that this is Palestinian folk music. This is what it is. And you're actually introducing it to the world. You're making it more accessible to the Western ear, for example. And sure. so that's something that actually makes us proud. Not, not, um, mm. yeah, we're not sad about that at all. We're not really annoyed by that. Um, I did see some backlash from the other side. For example, a lot of, um, people who do not, you know, who support Israel and who mm. are is Israelis, probably most of them were Israelis, who were anti-anything Palestinian, especially again, when it's art, when it's Palestinian art, that kind of scares them. So you see a lot of, you know, backlash as well for people who are saying, this is, we don't want to listen to this music. We, we don't want to be part of that. 
critics should not do a collaboration with a Palestinian artist. This is not acceptable, etc. And to me, that just proves that the song is very strong. And you know, these these comments and these you know people, they're they're not many. They're very few of them. But mm. in a way, that actually empowers me more. So, yeah. <laughs> and you you've done these big, massive shows with orchestral. Instrumentation behind you. You know, did you ever imagine your voice, your sound, pumped up in music festivals and massive venues where hundreds of thousands of electronic music lovers are jumping up and down and throwing their <laughs> hands in the air? Um, you know, did you ever imagine your voice to make such a dramatic transition like that? I did not. No, because also personally, and I and I also shared this with, with Skrillex like a few times. I'm not really. I, I was never really into EDM. I I knew nothing about EDM. Like I, we we didn't grow up with a lot of access to that kind of music, and and I didn't. I never really listened to it. I didn't really know much about it until I, you know, came to Amsterdam and I started meeting people who were really into that, and they would sometimes play things for me. But I I never really got into it a lot. It wasn't really my thing. So then from that to like collaborating with probably, the, you know, one of the biggest names in the EDM world, that was a huge jump and I never saw it coming, but I'm so happy it, it did because it gave me so much. And I also was able to also give back also a lot of, a lot of love to that music and a lot of passion um, in those vocals. I believe that more and more artists and electronic artists will start to infuse or integrate and mix genres, soundscapes, cultures, the way Skrillex and others have done. You know, what do you think this says about the creativity of electronic artists and musicians and producers who sometimes get a bad rap, you know, because they're not playing an instrument or they don't have the skill sets of knowing how to read music, etc. Definitely. I mean, first of all, the, the part about, you know, needing to learn music or needing to you know read yeah. music in order to be considered a musician i'm so against that because i think being a musician is something that is inside it's not something that you can just learn how to do a lot of people learn how to read music and they learn a lot about music theory but they're not musicians so for me it's something that really comes from the inside something you're born with even it's it's this talent that not a lot of people have and it's an amazing thing to have. So whether your instrument is your computer or your voice or an actual musical instrument, that it doesn't matter. You, you feel it on the inside. Working with someone like Sonny, for example, he's yeah. one of the most musical people I've ever worked with. He can imagine the music in his brain and he can, he can really know what he's looking for and then try to really find that sound and then make it even better. And so there's such a musical experience of working in an EDM project, which which I never personally, yes, I, I would admit that I never thought it would be that, that way, but it really was. Um, and about mixing genres together, I'm that's yeah. that's what I'm all about. I think this is what how the world can the world is so big, yet it's also so small. You know, being in growing up in Ramallah, now I'm in Dallas, and you know, it's it's, it's a small world somehow. And <laughs> and you know, music is 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 fascinating and and a very strong tool for us to use to connect different cultures together and to bring you know different music genres together i think it's it's much more connected than most people think coming up we'll wrap up our chat with palestinian singer-songwriter nai barguti she shares more about her upbringing in jerusalem and the most traumatic incident she's ever experienced as a child in the middle east We'll also learn more about a recent news event involving the music star. Why was she held by authorities at an airport in Cairo for more than eight hours and denied entry into Egypt? I'm Eddie Robinson. Our final segment of ICU happens in just a moment. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this program, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast, I See You with Eddie Robinson. You can hear all the past episodes and be notified when new episodes are released. Also, please take a minute to give us a review or comment. We love getting feedback from our listeners. You 
You're listening to ICU. I'm your host, Eddie Robinson. We're here with Nai Barguti. She's a Palestinian singer-songwriter and classically trained flute player who's featured in a very popular track played in electronic music festivals around the world. Six-time Grammy winner Skrillex, whose real name is Sonny Moore, teamed up with Nai on the song called Xena, where she offers up her enchanting Middle Eastern vocals and versatile melodies to the tune. We'll hear more from the track later in the episode, as well as hear Nye provide us with an a cappella version of the song. The renowned soloist has been touring the globe, and we're fortunate to catch up with her as she tours parts of the United States. She's currently chatting with us virtually from Dallas, Texas. You were in the news recently about being detained at an airport in Egypt. You were held at Cairo Airport for eight hours without justification before being barred from entering the country. You know, as a result of this, you know, two major concerts were canceled, the Opera House, which would have been your debut there, and a show at the Roman Amphitheater in Alexandria. You, know, you waited eight hours. You remained steadfast. You, know, you weren't giving up, right, during this ordeal, no. from what I read in these news articles. You know, did they ever give you a reason as to why you were detained, why you were barred from entering the country? Unfortunately, I was never given a reason. No one knew anything, even though we had a lot of connections in Egypt and we were trying to really understand what was going on. Uh, no one could really find like the answer of why I was I was not you know allowed to enter Egypt. But to me, it was a very, very actually very heartbreaking because Egypt, you know, Egyptian music that that was my childhood. Like that was everything I listened to the genre that we call tarab and tarab can is is a genre of music but the, the the definition of tarab like the actual translation is is a state of ecstasy that you get while listening to music and so that basically started in Egypt and i was for me that was all of my you know childhood teenage years everything was just all about that um i even remember like my parents you know making fun of me because i was you know you would see other teenagers listening to a lot of Western pop music and things that I were, were really in at that time in, in, in Palestine and elsewhere, also Arabic pop music. And then you see me listening to songs from 1920s and, you know, just, you know, taking extremely long showers because I need the song to finish before I finish. And, and, wow. the, and the shower and the song is like an hour long. So <laughs> there goes the water, you know? So yeah, yeah. I was really, yeah. And there isn't a lot wow. of water in Palestine. So that wow. yeah, I have to learn to be respectful of that and not do that anymore. That was for me. That was my, my childhood. So going to Egypt and experiencing that, you know, that feeling there and being being in that in that in that country, being in, in Cairo in that city, that I really wanted to, to experience that. And unfortunately, that didn't didn't happen. How did this spirit of resistance come about? Well, I mean, unfortunately, I kind of grew up with that. You know, I, this brings me back I mean, when I was sitting there waiting for someone to let me in to something that I shouldn't be denied. That really took me back to my childhood. I remember I had the music lesson in Jerusalem every Friday. And again, Jerusalem is the city of my birth. And I was I, I was living in Ramallah, which is only a 20 minute drive, supposedly to Jerusalem. But with all the checkpoints that are on the way, it takes sometimes an hour or two to get there. So I remember I used to go all the time since I was maybe 10 to that checkpoint alone because I had to go to my music lesson. And one time the soldier did not seem to want me to go in. And she saw my flute and she said, what is this? And I said, it's a flute. And she said, so you're a musician. And she really was angry to see that I was a musician. And she didn't let me pass. She, she basically started saying, you don't have the right papers. Like, I can't remember what, what it was, but she basically denied me from going to my music lesson. And she asked me to go back. And at that point, I was really young, but I had this kind of energy to me that I I was like, I'm not going. I'm just going to sit here. And it was extremely scary. She she had a, you know, a weapon that was bigger than me at that point. And I was I was very scared because they can be really brutal. But I just decided to stay there. And I said, I'm not I'm not going back. And I remember all these buses filled with Palestinians who were also trying to cross. They all came down from the bus and were basically protecting me as their child. And so there was this kind of collective feeling of we're all together in this and I'm not going back, I'm gonna pass. At the end, my dad came to pick me up and I didn't pass. But if for me that, 
it, it makes you grow somehow. It makes you feel like you're not, you're not going to take no for an answer when this is your right. You, you're not supposed to ask for something that is actually yours already. Someone once said to be critical of Israel is known as commercial suicide in the art world. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true? I think it used to be true. I think the world is, is changing and the truth always kind of comes to life, no matter how much you try to bury it aside. In a way, social media helped that, even though I have a lot of things against social media. But one of the things that I like about it is that it helped bring a lot of truth to the world because now we can actually document things and we don't just rely on, on fake news to to tell us yes. who we are and to, to speak for us. We can actually show ourselves. And that's something that's changing. A lot of movements around the world that are calling for the boycott of Israel, for example. And uh, there's a lot of, in general, people are becoming more and more educated about everything that's going on there. And people are no longer so scared of speaking out. In May of 2022, Al Jazeera Palestinian journalist Shireen Abu Akleh was was killed by Israeli forces during a raid in the occupied West Bank. You wrote the song, which was an anthem of the land. That was what it was interpreted as, Nasheed El Ar, in her memory. The song's lyrics sound sounded like a protest. You know, have you used your songs in protest prior to this, or? What was it about this incident that prompted you to write a song of this nature? Well, Shireen Abu Akleh was actually a friend of mine um, and a friend of my family uh, for years. She was a beautiful soul, a very strong person. And we always remember her just laughing all the time. She's always laughing. She saw so much tragedy in her life on a daily basis, but she always just came towards the end of the day and she would smile and move on and continue the next day to make a change. And she really believed in that. She was really an amazing person. So to see that news all of a sudden, to just wake up and, and see that Shirina Abu has been murdered in cold blood, that was, for me, that was really a huge shock. Those who knew her and those who did not know her, there was a, a collective uh, griefing period for everyone because she was just, she was an idol. You know, many women wanted to, many little girls actually wanted to study journalism to be her. She, she inspired so many people around the world and especially in Palestine. So it was really a collective feeling of betrayal. So I was already, actually I had already composed that song to be released in my album. And it, the song was already about Palestine and about rising up about, you know, it says, you know, you should all rise up. We should all march together towards freedom and justice and equality. So that's basically what the song is about. It's about my land. It's about the freedom uh, of my land. And so when this happened, I felt a a strong connection to to Shireen and to want to basically dedicate something to her, to her soul and to her uh, strength and resilience and to somehow make that version of her live forever. You spoke about your checkpoint incident, and I'm curious, as you live your life, there's still an incident that's embedded in your mind that triggers the sense of almost trauma, if you will, as relates to discrimination, as relates to racism. Can you share that moment with us? Well, I have many of those. I remember when I was four years old, the second intifada happened in Palestine. So the Israeli military occupied the West Bank. And some, for some reason, they chose our building to land in so that the apartment right above our apartment was our neighbors were gone uh, somewhere. I can't remember where it was. I was a child. But so they basically stole their apartment and laid all their military stuff there. Mm. And I remember being our entire building was, was basically sieged for I can't remember how long it was, but it was a few weeks. And it made me feel extremely scared all the time because whenever we go to the staircase, there's a soldier there and we get really like very scared and we would hide at home and we were really just feeling really, really shocked all the time. I remember there was a soldier who would always go to the staircase, which had a lot of echo, and he would scream so loud that all the kids in the building were just so scared and they would be afraid of going out. 
So one day, my parents said, "Well, if you're so scared and if you're if you're really bothered by his screaming, why not scream back? You know, just scream back." So I remember we, my sister and I, we like kind of led this thing where we went to the neighbors and we collected all the kids in the building, and we said we, you know, decided that on a specific day at a certain hour when we know the soldiers are napping upstairs, taking a rest, we're gonna go to the staircase and we're gonna shout so loud, <laughs> and that's what we did. We went to the staircase. We were shouting so loud that these soldiers were like, "What is going on?" You know, and that specific soldier, he came down to my parents and he was begging them. He was like, "I'll do anything. Just make them shut up. They're, they're just so loud." And we kept on going and going and going. And I remember that moment. I felt the kind of like, we won. That that kind of feeling, like you know, he never screamed again. That was the last time he screamed. And so, that was a moment that I, you know, I always just take with me wherever that. Use your voice. Never stop using your voice. That's basically it. It's ICU. I'm Eddie Robinson, chatting with acclaimed vocalist Nai Barghouti. The classically trained Palestinian soloist is here to talk about her collaboration with Grammy winner Skrillex. Together, they've released this massive Middle Eastern techno track that music critics and fans alike have all praised for its unique sound and energy. The song is called Xena and hopefully get nigh to sing a few bars of the song a cappella. It seems like there's a clarion sound that comes from your voice, that it resonates, and you can feel it in the power of your vocals, that carries with this, you know, a, a, a sense of dignity, a sense of humility, right? a sense of respect. Is this the Palestinian culture that we're hearing in your voice? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, this this is what I was raised with. This is what I grew up learning. It's also what I learned from my parents. And it's just something that continues to grow. You know, it's something that you always just spend every day learning new things about the world and about yourself, also your identity, what it means to be a musician for you and how you can take that to really express yourself and to really... Do whatever it is that you're feeling through your music. I think that's the most honest way uh, for do- of doing music, in my opinion. Of all that you've accomplished, you know, of all that you've had to endure in your life, and then to have so many music fans begin to discover you and your music through the help of Sonny, through the help of Skrillex, <laughs> and all that you've witnessed as a musician, an acclaimed Palestinian singer-songwriter, musician, instrumentalist, Nai. What lessons have you learned about yourself thus far? Hmm. Very nice question. Well, um, I think mostly I learned that there's somehow this voice on the on the very like really really back in somewhere in your head. There's a voice, and you somehow learn to to ignore that voice by a lot of things, including occupation, including just being a woman in the music industry or, you know, being surrounded by a lot of people. Some of them are amazing, some of them are not so much. And, you know, you start really somehow ignoring that, that voice because you think that, oh, how would I know better? You know, I'm sure this person knows better. I'm sure this person can can tell me what to do. And And I think I'm discovering more and more that that voice actually has been has been honest all this all this time. It's the one constant thing. It's the one strong thing that doesn't ever disappear, even though I try to ignore it many times. It, it comes back to me and it says, no, I'm here, listen to me because I know better. And I think I'm learning more and more to trust that voice. Yes, seeking help, seeking advice from people, definitely, because they're, you know, you don't know about a lot of things and that's just the way life works. But there is that feeling on the inside, that voice that will also also guide you through a lot of things. And learning how to listen to that and to include that in your life, I think that's basically what I'm learning to do more and more every day. This was phenomenal. Thank you so much, Nai. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was, um, it was beautiful to talk to you. As an ICU exclusive, perhaps, we would love for you to sing a portion Zena mm-hmm. for our audience. Only if you're okay. open to it. You know, we've had <laughs> sure. previous guests on our show do acapellas and that kind of thing, but we'd love to hear you provide us with some sort of exclusive ICU rendition of Zena. Okay. 
Would you be open okay. to that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. So I'll do basically the the original folk song that oh. developed into Zina. Okay. شيعوا لولا ديعام ويجولوا شيعوا لولا ديعام ويجولوا بالخيول المبركة يطاردونوا بالخيول المبركة يطاردونوا Beautiful. Just Beautiful. a little chunk. شيعوا لولا ديعام ويجولوا عددوا المهراوي هاتوا البرودة بالخيول المبركة يطاردونوا so it, it basically says like a specific translation a literal translation would be call on his cousins to bring him so by him it's the groom bring the groom to the wedding on the backs of decorated horses to fetch him. Prepare his mare and his rifle so we can have his wedding at Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, which is Bab al-Amud. So that's basically the, 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 the main lyrics of the song. <laughs> Zina, a song released by Skrillex featuring vocals by our guest, Nai Barguti. The track can be found on the Skrillex album entitled Quest for Fire. Palestinian singer-songwriter, renowned flute player, Nai Barguti. Thank you so much for being a guest on ICU. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our team includes technical director Todd Holslander, Producer, Laura Walker. Editors, Mark DeClaudio and John Mitchell Good. I See You is a production of Houston Public Media. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and download your favorite shows. I'm your host and executive producer, Eddie Robinson. And I feel you. We hear you. I see you. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.